I recognize that voice. Um, this morning, we have the wonderful privilege of dedicating some children to the Lord. We have two families, the George and Wolverton families, that are going to be dedicating children. And before I call them up here, I thought I'd just explain a little bit about the ceremony. Because once they get up here, you don't know what's going to happen. So, um, at least with the little children. Um, so, this is a basic ceremony where parents dedicate their children to the Lord. And it's a commitment they make to raise their children, to know the ways of the Lord. It's also a commitment that we make as a church to be praying for these children and supporting the families. And um, I think there's many ways that we support kids in this church, and I'm ex- I, I love that about this church. I mean, so many of you um, gave to build the children's wing. Um, our family center down there, so many of you serve down there. Um, just the way, you know, the train table and the lobby, just we want to welcome children into our church. I also believe in, you know, giving people practical resources. So today we're going to be giving gifts to the families. And I wanted to let you know what they were because you bought these. Um, this is because of your generosity, your giving, that we're able to equip families. So the first is a Bible. This is the Jesus Story Bible. This is my favorite Bible for little children. And I love this Bible because it not only tells them all those classic stories, but it shows how every single story points to Jesus Christ. And so that was the thing. When I was a little kid growing up in the church, I learned about Moses and Noah and all these stories, but they seemed kind of different. Or like the God of the Old Testament was different than the God of the New Testament. And I didn't know how they linked together. And so this teaches children how the Bible is really one story all about Jesus. We also have some prayer books for them. These are written by Stormy O'Martin. I don't know if you guys are familiar. She read or wrote The Power of a Praying Parent. It's a great book. But there's one for little boys and one for little girls. And these were books I bought for myself when I was a mom of young kids because I knew I needed to pray for my kids, but I was too exhausted to figure out how. Um, True story. So each of these books, like on every page... There's a picture and just like one prayer and then a scripture. And so I would read the prayer at nighttime when I was rocking my kids to sleep and then just read the scripture. And these books taught me how to pray for my children and they gave me the words when I was too exhausted to find the words. Um, I just want to share with you some of the kinds of prayers. I'll just read from the, if I can open it. Let's see. Okay, table of contents. So there's prayers for their commitment to God, for wisdom and understanding, for safety and security, for strong family relationships, for good godly friendships, for their ability to lead, for health and healing, for them to know their gift and purpose in life. I mean, it just goes on for a passion of holiness. There are all these awesome prayers in there. So um, these are gifts you're giving to equip parents to raise their children in the Lord, all right? So thank you for that. Thank you for your generous giving. All right. 
Mark 10, verses 13 through 16, says this. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he became angry. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And Jesus took the children in his arms and he put his hands on them and blessed them. And that's what we're going to do today. So if the George family and Wilbertons will come up and come right up here. We have Shane and Samantha, and they are dedicating Ava, Maximus, and Wilder today. And then we have Joe and Jess, Wolverton, and they're dedicating Logan. And their big sisters, Allison and Caitlin, are here for to support. All right. Friends, you've brought these children here today, whom God has given you to dedicate them to God and to his service. By this act, you testify in your faith and the Christian religion, and also your desire that your children shall receive the benefits of being consecrated to God, of the prayers of the church, and they may learn early to know and follow the will of God, and therefore live a Christian life. Now, in order for this to happen, it's your duty as a parent. To teach them early to fear the Lord, to watch over their education, that they may not be led astray by false teachings or doctrines, to direct their minds to the Holy Scriptures, and to direct their feet to the sanctuary, to restrain them from evil associates and habits, and as much as you are able to bring them up in the Lord's discipline and instruction, will you endeavor to do so with the help of the Lord? If so, answer, we will. In congregation, do you commit to supporting the George and Wolverton families with your prayers and words of encouragement and other practical acts of help? If so, answer, we will. will. I'm going to say a prayer for all the children, and then we'll go one by one and dedicate them to the Lord, all right? Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are first and foremost your children. And we thank you for the blessing of each of these children, Lord. And we lift them up and just place them in your hands today. We pray your Holy Spirit, fill them and guide them. We pray that you will be real to them. That you won't just be some far off God that they've heard about, but they will have a personal friendship with Jesus Christ. We pray you give them wisdom and they will trust in you and your word. And they will lean not on their own understanding, but in all their ways they will acknowledge you so you can make their paths straight. And God, we pray for these parents. God, we pray you bless them with wisdom and patience 
and and insight, God. We know every child is unique and needs different things. And so we pray you'll give them insight into each child and how to raise them up in your ways, God. And help us as a congregation to know how to help. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we'll start here with Wilder. Hi, you sleeping? Okay. Wilder George, we dedicate you to the Lord in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. We pray his blessings upon your life. In Jesus' name, amen. Maximus, you come here, buddy? Can I pick you up? Okay, thanks. I'm going to get my workout this morning. I think you've been growing. Okay, I'm going to pray for you, okay? Okay. I'm going to put my hand right here. Do you know you're a blessing? Yeah. Yeah. Maximus, George, you are a blessing and a gift from God. And we dedicate you to the Lord in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. He will watch over you all the days of your life. so beautiful today, honey. Okay, I'm going to pray for you, all right? All right. Ava George. Hey, look at me. You're a blessing, too. And a gift from God. And we are grateful for you, and we dedicate you in the name of the Father and Son and the Holy Spirit. May His Spirit watch over you all the days of your life, and you will never be alone, Ava. May God give you courage. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right. Do you guys want to help me pray for your little brother here? Yes. Do you remember when you were dedicated to the Lord? You do? Yeah. Okay. She must have a good memory, huh? Okay. Hey, Logan. How are you? Do you guys see, do you guys see Logan? Can you look at that? See him? There we go. Okay. We're going to pray for Logan now, okay? Logan, we dedicate you to the Lord in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. May His Spirit guide you all the days of your life and give you great joy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 There you go. Mm-hmm. Here. Mm-hmm. You guys want to take that one? There's something in there for you to Okay? Yeah. Oh, sure. mm-hmm. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Yep. Did you guys get pictures? Okay, good. Um, those who are in second through fifth grade, you can stay up here with me if you want, Max. I, I'm good with that. <laughs> those who are in second through fifth grade can leave at this time um, with Miss Molly. She's waving her hand there and go to Kids Church. Thank you for worshiping with us. Um, 
any of you had a sibling rivalry before? <laughs> I'm seeing some finger pointing happen. A sibling rivalry, you know, like, you love your sibling, you want them to do well, just not better than you, that kind of thing. Or maybe you've had a workplace rivalry. Any of you have have that before? Well, those are those are fun, huh? Well, Jesus' disciples had both. They had a workplace rivalry where they were kind of jockeying for positions in Jesus' organization. Several of them were also brothers. So it was both and. And to understand our main passage today, we kind of have to see this rivalry unfold, which will be a little fun. So if you open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 16, we're actually going to scan a couple chapters of the Bible real quick before we get to our main passage, just so we can see the lead up of the rivalry to our passage. If you have a paper Bible or if you can grab one out of the basket, that's good. Because it's kind of hard to scan two chapters of the Bible on a little tiny cell phone screen. And I can only show one verse at a time up there. So, Matthew 16, verse 13 is where we'll start. Jesus had many disciples, actually. He had a lot of followers. But there were 12 that he handpicked to be his apprentices, to be the leaders of this movement, the kingdom of God that he was starting. And um, they expected this kingdom of God to be not just a spiritual kingdom, but a political kingdom. Uh, like today, a lot of people have a hard time distinguishing and separating those two notions, that they can be separate. And Jesus was constantly trying to tell them, no, this is not going to be a political kingdom. Um, but but they didn't get that, and they kind of thought they would, you know, help build this kingdom and they would have leadership positions in it. So Matthew 16, verse 13, Jesus, he asked his disciples, um, so what are people saying about me? You know, like, what? who do they say I am? And some of the disciples said, well, you know, well, some people think you're like a reincarnation of Elijah or John the Baptist or some other prophet. And people... And Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter, whose name was actually Simon at that time, he says, well, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus immediately affirms Peter. In verse 17, this is what he says. He says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. For this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. So he's saying like God is speaking to Peter, Simon. And I tell you that you're no longer going to be Simon, but you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And you can just imagine Peter being like, whoa. And the other disciples are like, what? You just gave him the keys to the kingdom? You know? And, and Peter's like, did you hear that? I got a new name. Jesus called me Peter. That means rock. And he said, on this rock, I'll build my church. He's going to build his church on me. 
you know, and the others are like, and then the very next paragraph, the next paragraph, Jesus begins to explain to them how he's going to go to Jerusalem and he's going to suffer at the hands of the chief priests and elders and he's going to be put to death and three days later rise again. And Peter decides to kind of pull Jesus off to the side a little bit and, and give him some counsel. Because, you know, he he now is the number two in the kingdom of God. He's the one the church is going to be built on. Um, so he, he's going to give Jesus some advice. And he tells Jesus, no, never, this is not going to happen. And what does Jesus say to him? Verse 23, Jesus turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. And you can just see the other disciples being like, (laughs) Hey, you got another new name. Congratulations, Satan. You know, and you can just see them like knocking Peter back down to size, right? And and having fun with this, being like, uh, uh, no, I don't think you should be up there. You should get behind me, Satan. You know? not, not my words, Jesus. I'm just I'm just imitating Jesus. Just, it's okay though. The last shall be first. You know, <laughs> you can just see how they would be having fun with this. Well, it continues. Chapter 17. The next chapter says six days later. Just six days after this all goes down, Jesus calls Peter, James, and John up onto the mountaintop. And there he is transformed before them. And they see him in all of his glory. Verse 2 of chapter 17 says, His face shone like the sun, and his clothes were white like a light. And just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah who came down from heaven to be there, talking with Jesus. And Peter says, Lord, it is good for us to be here. They were just in awe, absolute awe, and got to see Jesus in all his glory. And then they come down from the mountain and immediately meet up with the other disciples. That's, um, that's right, verse 22. And... Mark also tells this story and he gives a few more details. So I'm going to have the Mark version on the screen for you so you can see. This is right after they come down out of the mountain. When they returned to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd surrounding them and some teachers of the religious law were arguing with them. When the crowd saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with awe and they ran to greet him. What is all this arguing about? Jesus asked. One of the men in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit and won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently on the ground. Then he foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. And Jesus said, you faceless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. And so then he goes through and he heals the boy. He casts out the spirit. And in verse, I believe it's verse 28, yeah. 
It says afterwards, when Jesus was alone in the house with the disciples, they asked him, why, why couldn't we cast out the evil spirit? And Jesus replies, this kind can only be cast out by prayer. Leaving that region, then they traveled through Galilee. Jesus didn't want anyone to know where he was because he wanted to spend some time with his disciples teaching them. And he told them again, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. He's going to be killed. Three days later, he's going to rise again. Jesus is trying to get them to understand the big picture here. And they didn't understand it. I can just imagine them thinking, he's still talking in parables. What does he mean, rise from the dead? However, they were afraid to ask him what he meant. After they arrived at Capernaum and settled in a house, Jesus asked the disciples, what were you discussing out on the road while we were traveling? But they didn't answer. Why? Because they had been arguing about who was the greatest. You can just see how this goes down. Like, Peter, he, he's the first to confess Jesus is the Son of God and gets praised, and then he gets cut down the sides, and then he and James and John are handpicked to go up on the mountaintop and see Jesus in all his glory. Meanwhile, the others are failing at casting out a demon, right? And Jesus comes down, and it, it, it seems like they failed because they have, like, a lack of faith in prayer. And so then they're walking to the next place, Capernaum. And, and you can just imagine Peter giving them pointers of how he would have cast the demon out if he had been there. And they're like, Peter, you just stop. You're not better than us, you know. And Peter's like, well, you didn't, you didn't experience what I just experienced. You know, I, I got to be with Jesus and Moses and Elijah. So, you know, okay. Jesus and I are tight. <laughs> And so they begin to argue about who's the greatest. But they don't want to tell Jesus that. And um, so then, this is where Matthew's part of the story picks back up. In 17, verse 24, Jesus and the disciples go in the house, but Peter is still outside the house because some tax collectors have grabbed him. Matthew 17, verse 24. After Jesus and his disciples arrived in Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma temple tax came to Peter and asked, Doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Yeah, yeah, he does, replied Peter. And so then Peter goes into the house, and Jesus was the first to speak. Oh, what do you think, Simon? Ooh, he get, did he just get demoted again? <laughs> okay. Simon means pebble. It's not as good as Peter, which means rock. All right. What do you think, Simon? He asked. From whom do kings of the earth collect duty and taxes? From their own children or from others? From others? Peter asked. Answered. Then the children are exempt, Jesus said to him. Jesus is kind of opening Peter's eyes and expanding his understanding of what it means that Jesus is the Son of God. He's saying, Peter, you, you remember how you confessed me the Son of God? You remember how you saw me on the mountaintop? Do you think I need to pay taxes to my daddy? You know, Peter's understanding of what it practically meant to be following the Son of God was limited. 
And so is ours. I, I really think we haven't even begun to fathom all the practical implications of what it means to follow the Son of God. Verse 27, But so we may not cause offense, go to the lake, throw out your line, take the first fish you catch, open its mouth, and you will find a four drachma coin. Take it and give it to them for my tax and yours. And Peter does this, and you can just imagine him coming back like, Beaming, big smile, he's got the fish, he's got the coins, like, this is awesome. And the other disciples are like, why did Jesus just pay his tax? Did he pay your tax? He didn't pay my tax? He said the sons are exempt. Did he just call Peter a son of God? Is that why he's paying his tax? What's going on? So they're like, Jesus, who's the greatest? They just can't handle it anymore. They just can't handle it. Verse 18, or I'm sorry, chapter 18, verse 1, in the next verse. At that time, better translation, at that moment, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then, um, yeah, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Jesus called the little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. Lord, I just pray that you help us understand what you mean by these words. I pray that you help us understand what it means to be like a little child and to welcome little children into your kingdom. Because we want to be a church that welcomes you. Pray these things in Jesus' name. So what does Jesus mean when he says this? And why does he call a toddler over? Because in the Greek, that word that we're translating from the Greek there to little children or little child, it it means like a toddler, like a one or two year old. Have you you, you ever seen like a, you know, 12 to 18 month old when they're just starting to walk? I remember when Mikhail was that age and, um, it's a good story, I promise. And, and, um, and, and she, she would always stand with her hands like on the couch or the stool and she just kind of walk around the living room that way, you know. And I'll never forget when she decided to get brave and, and let go of the couch and come into the gray void at the middle of the living room floor where there's nothing to hang on to. And, you know, Eric and I are like, come on, come on, you can do it, come on. And she just gets this like huge grin on her face. You know, and she's just like, you know, it's just so adorable when they have that moment. And the disciples are there saying, Jesus, come on now, who then is the greatest? And he just looks at them and he's like, and he spots a little toddler and he says, He turns him around and he says, a 
unless you're like this child, you won't even get into my kingdom. Little children, one-year-olds, they aren't worried about comparing themselves to others. They're just happy to be with you and learn from you. Have you noticed how they like just soak in every little thing you do? They're humble and dependent. And Jesus says that's what we have to be like. The disciples, when they started following Jesus, you know, like way back when, they knew they needed a Savior. They knew they, they were sinful men. But, but by this time of this story, now, you know, they're, they're respectable. They, they actually teach people about God and they teach people how to live rightly and, and they're leaders. It can be so easy for us who have followed Jesus a long time to forget who we were before Jesus. Jesus saves us. You know, his Holy Spirit does great things in our lives. He cleans out our sin and our shame. He begins to bear good fruit. But when we start to um, take credit for that fruit, it breeds the most insidious sin of all. Pride. Some of you became saved late in life when you were older and you had lived enough life that you will never forget who you were without Jesus. And, and there is a blessing in that. Some of us, you know, we were in church from like this tall and, and it can be hard for us to know who we are without Jesus. I'm so grateful. Um, Jesus saved me when I was five. And um, his Holy Spirit has been guiding my life since then. And I haven't always stayed on the straight and narrow. I've taken some detours. But He's God's always like been faithful to pull me back onto a good path. And my life has been blessed because of it. And the Holy Spirit has, you know, produced a lot of good fruit in me. You, you can talk to my parents. They will tell you before the age of five I was a brat. But since then... <laughs> There's been a lot of good fruit. And because it's been so long, it could be easy for me to just think, well, you know, that's just my natural personality. I'm just that way because that's just who I am. But I'm not. I know who I am without Jesus because I know the kind of thoughts that go through my head. The ones that when they come to my mind, the Holy Spirit is like, whoa, let's reel that one back before it gets out there in the world. Do you want to know who you'd be without Jesus? Have you forgotten? Your fantasies will tell you. Your fantasies will tell you who you'd be without Jesus. Those dark places your mind wanders, that's where your whole life would wander if the Holy Spirit didn't have the reins of your life. The disciples had followed Jesus just long enough 
to forget who they would be without him. They had followed Jesus just long enough to forget that they still needed a Savior. The more Jesus empowered them to help others, because at that point, that's why they thought they were following him. Well, you know, first it was to get saved, but now it's to help people. But the more Jesus empowered them to help others, the more they felt important. You see, the blessings that come with following Jesus, they will either make you grateful or they will make you proud. And if the blessings of Jesus make you grateful, you will become more and more addicted to spending time with Jesus. But if his blessings make you proud, you will become more and more addicted to being blessed. To being important. To being great. And Jesus is not... Guys, it's not about that. It's not about that. Don't worry about that stuff. Just just be like a little child and come when I call you. Just want to come to me. Have you ever noticed that when a baby's just learning to walk and, and they have that moment where they get brave and they let go of whatever they've been holding on to and they take those couple steps to mom and dad or grandpa or grandma. What are they looking at? What are they looking at? Are, do, do they let go and like look at their feet like this? Yeah, they're not looking around like this. They're looking like they are zoned in on the face of the person they are going to. Whether they be mom or dad, they are like glued. And they're like, got this big cheesy grin on their face. And they're like, ah! You know? And Jesus says, be like that with me. Be zoned in on me. And just be excited to come to me. He called a little child. And had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth. Unless you change and become like a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Note here, he is not talking to unbelievers. He's not talking to Pharisees. Who's he talking to? His disciples. His most devoted followers. And they are the ones who have to change or they won't get into heaven. Does that scare you? That scares me a little bit. To get into heaven, his most devoted followers have to change and become like little kids. Little kids are humble. They don't care about status. They're not worried about being great or even self-sufficient. Right? They haven't yet learned that they have to achieve to be loved. One-year-olds haven't learned that yet. They just trust. One-year-olds have great trust that they're just going to be loved and they're going to be taken care of. They also have great joy and great sorrow. Have you noticed this? Like little kids 
are very honest and open about their feelings. You know, they love to laugh and giggle. They, they like, do not hold back the tears, right? They, they let their needs be known. They're not afraid to get helped and comforted, right? I think one of the things that happens to a lot of Christians is that we sanitize our feelings. And we sanitize our experiences. We know, um, good trees bear good fruit. So good Christians have good emotions. Right? Doesn't matter what's happening. I'm blessed. God's in control. And we confine what we're allowed to feel into this little box labeled acceptable. Labeled good. And we stop being honest with ourselves that so much of what we experience, sometimes it's just, it's not good. Some of what we think and feel and good, it just cannot be labeled good. Jesus' disciples could not acknowledge they were jealous of Peter. I mean, jealousy, well, that's a sin. They were above that. They couldn't even admit they were arguing. Instead, they they pretend to pose a philosophical question. Um, Jesus, who then is the greatest? We're just curious. And Jesus says, stop with the pretenses. Just stop. Stop with the justifying yourself and comparing. Stop with the striving to achieve. Stop with the facade. Just stop. All that striving and justifying yourself and you know, about who serves the most or who's most pure in heart, it makes your soul weary. Jesus says your soul longs to be a child again. Your soul needs to be a child again. Jesus says it's not the one who achieves the most or who gives the most or serves the most. It's the one who humbles themselves like a little child who will be great in his kingdom. And he also says that those who welcome little children welcome him. Why is that? I think it's because Jesus is like a little child. Look at John 5, 19. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son, that's he's speaking about himself here, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. Because whatever the Father, Son does, the Son does. Does that not sound like a little kid? He can do nothing on his own? Only does what he sees his daddy doing. I have this video that I just love. It's Titus was about I don't know three or four, and Eric is on the rider mower mowing the lawn, and Titus has his little plastic push mower like this, just following him. It's adorable. Sorry, it is. Um, but that's what little kids do, right? And that's what Jesus is saying. He's like, I don't do anything on my own. I just, I just do what my daddy does. 
Jesus, he also had, you know, he loved to laugh and go to parties and have a good time. He, he openly wept. He was not concerned about status or popularity. He was not afraid to say things that would make people upset and no longer like him. He was so humble. And he had complete trust in his daddy. Matthew eleven twenty eight twenty nine. 29. This is our last verse. Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Jesus wants us just to be excited to come and learn from him so he can teach us to be like him. Humble. Gentle. And our souls will find rest. So let your soul be like a little child. Let your soul be like Jesus. You pray with me. God, I pray you will help us let go of needing to be important. At some point in our lives, we kind of learn that we have to achieve, we have to be somebody, we have to do something special or great in order to be loved, in order to be worthy, in order to be some. you know. God, help us be like little children. And put that behind us. God, I pray that you will help us to be humble and gentle in heart like you. I pray that more than what we achieve or do or have, we will find our joy in coming to you and being with you. Lord, we've been praying this month that we will see people as you see people. And I pray, God, you will help us see ourselves as you do. With all the grace that you give us. And how much you love us and your eyes light up when you see us. Because, God, sometimes we only see the bad parts of ourselves. And that's why we strive so hard. God, I pray that you will help us see ourselves as you do. Beautiful, loved, with faults, but still learning. And God, I pray you will help us receive your grace and extend that same grace to other people. And that we will not worry about who we are better than, but that we would simply run to you love to be with you, and encourage others to do the same. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.